Here are some of the things I was not able to include in the main episode of Chicago's original Chinatown, 1870 to 1912. As always, have a listen to that one first if you have not already. Otherwise, this may not make much sense. For this extras episode, I'm going to add a warning for younger listeners or listeners who may be upset by stories of violence, especially by acts we now call hate crimes. There are also some terms used that are certainly derogatory and not politically correct today, but were in use at the time. In 1854, the California Supreme Court overturned the murder conviction of a white man named George W. Hall. Hall's attorneys argued that the testimony of the Chinese witnesses should be invalid based on laws that banned Native Americans and, quote, mixed-race people, end quote, from testifying in court. In reversing Hall's conviction, the court called Chinese people, quote, inferior, end quote, and warned if they were allowed to testify in court, they would soon seek the right to vote. Of course, white people could testify against Chinese without issue. Listener Alex asked about the photo taken during the joining of the Transcontinental Railroad at Promontory Point in Utah in 1869, as he had heard Chinese were pictured. Well, he's kind of right. There were a few pictures taken that day of the ones I found. The Chinese workers, as essential as they were to the construction of the railroad, were not well represented or not included at all. Los Angeles, 1871, a city of 6,000 people. Prone to vigilante justice and mob rule, a city known for its mistreatment of Latino, Black, Asian, and Native Californians by white settlers. The anti-Chinese sentiment was particularly pronounced, especially with editorials in local newspapers that called them, quote, barbarians taking jobs away from whites, end quote. In October of 1871, shots rang out in an area called Negro Town, owing to a feud between rival Chinese gangs. A local patrolman, enjoying a whiskey at a nearby saloon, raced out to find a Chinese man shot in the neck. As the patrolman blew his whistle for help, more shots rang out, hitting him in the shoulder and wrist. The saloon owner ran out to help the fallen patrolman, only to be shot through the heart by the same hidden gunman. A mob quickly formed and descended on the small Chinese community. This mob was not looking for those responsible. They were looking to take vengeance on anyone who looked Chinese. The mob, primarily Irish and Mexican, began pulling people from their homes, beating, stabbing, and torturing them, dragging them through the streets while others ransacked their homes, stealing their belongings. Boys, help yourselves, was heard on the street. For the innocents hiding behind locked doors, they were no match for the rioters who used pickaxes to chop holes through the roofs, firing guns into the rooms below. Fifteen Chinese, including a 14-year-old boy and the community's only physician, Chi Long Tong, were hanged in the street. One of the lynching victims had a finger cut off for the diamond ring once on it. Four others died of gunshots, bringing the final death toll from the mob's actions to 19. 10% of the Chinese population at that time in the City of Angels. In 
One newspaper the following day called the riot, quote, a victory of the patriots over the heathens, end quote. None of the responding police could identify any of the rioters, mm -hmm. and testimony from Chinese witnesses was not allowed because of that whole Chinese couldn't testify in court thing. 37 rioters were eventually indicted, 15 were tried, and 8, just 8, were convicted of manslaughter. And because America, a little over a year later, the California Supreme Court reversed the convictions on the grounds that the original indictment had failed to establish that the Chinese physician had been murdered. The United States as a whole was reportedly embarrassed by this shameful act, and the U.S. government eventually paid Imperial China an indemnity to settle the whole affair. In 1875, seven years before the Chinese Exclusion Act, another piece of federal legislation was enacted to limit immigration called the Page Act. It prohibited laborers from, quote, China, Japan, or any Oriental country, end quote. It also forbid, quote, the importation of women for the purposes of prostitution, end quote. According to Dr. Kevin Nadal, professor at the City University of New York and vice president of the Filipino-American National Historical Society, quote, Chinese women were specifically accused of spreading sexually transmitted diseases. They were scapegoated. That sexualized stereotype stuck, end quote. Chinese women attempting to enter the United States were subjected to humiliating interrogations at the Angel Island Immigration Station near San Francisco. Instead of subjecting themselves to these horrible processes, many opted to not even try, leading to the heavily male Chinese population in the states at that time. Western states also had laws preventing people from marrying outside of their race, so it limited any potential growth of Asian American families. It should be noted women from European countries were not subjected to any of this. Regarding the gold rush, it is estimated 300,000 people came to California to seek their fortunes, in the main episode, I spoke briefly of violence against Chinese in the mining camps. Here's one of those stories. While the gold rush had a relatively short life, gold mining continued for many years in California. Sadly, it was while mining for gold that one of the worst early crimes against Chinese immigrants in America occurred. In May of 1887, as many as 34 Chinese miners were ambushed and murdered at Deep Creek on the Oregon side of the Snake River, the killers fleeing with the miners' gold valued at between $4,000 and $5,000. One of the thieves was a 15-year-old boy. In plotting the crime, one of those responsible reportedly suggested, quote, they do their country a favor and go down and kill off this band of Chinese miners and get their gold for their trouble, end quote. The crime was discovered when some of the bodies, most showing signs of torture and having been thrown in the river, 
were found near the Lewiston, Idaho territory, nearly 65 miles downstream from the scene of the crime. The employer of the Chinese miners, the Sam Yup Company of San Francisco, pursued the matter, and in March of 1888, Frank Vaughn, one of the killers, confessed and turned state's evidence against the others. Although a grand jury indicted six men and boys, three fled, and the other three were declared innocent. No one was ever punished for the crime. In 2005, the area of Deep Creek where this horrible crime occurred was named Chinese Massacre Cove by the U.S. Board on Geographic Names. The first recognition of the event in June of 2012, a memorial to honor those slain Chinese miners was installed at the site, inscribed in three languages, English, Chinese, and Nez Perce for the indigenous tribe of that area. In November of 1907, the Inter-Ocean newspaper in Chicago ran a story with the headline, Chinese Banished to End Tong War. Two Chinese men, Jim Moy and Yi Gun, had been arrested on charges of carrying concealed weapons, but were also accused of being, quote, leaders in the War of Tongs, which has struck terror to the residents of the Clark Street District, end quote, and ordered to leave the city within 24 hours. One of the men protested in Chinese, quote, but the court did not know what he said and was unmoved, end quote. Of course, now I need to find out when interpreters started being used in courts. Kind of tough to defend yourself when the judge doesn't understand you. I spoke in the main episode about stage plays of the day with names like Chinatown Charlie and King of the Opium Ring. Here's more on those. King of the Opium Ring is described in a February 1901 inter-ocean newspaper as intensely melodramatic, the San Francisco Chinatown in the background. The King of the Opium Ring falls into the hands of the Highbinders, and to save himself sells the Queen to a, quote, wily Chinaman, end quote. I had to look up the word Highbinders. It has a few uses, but the most common is a Chinese tough, often a hitman. Now, in case you're thinking this play ran maybe once or twice and only in big cities, nope. I found a piece in the Indianapolis Times in August of 1900 referring to the play having its second annual engagement there. This article refers to the climax of the third act with its exciting patrol wagon scene and, quote, ladder of chinks, end quote, which, quote, brought out a veritable riot of applause, cheers, and catcalls from the audience in all parts of the house, end quote. Somehow Wa Sing, the name of the actor who played the main villain in the play, was omitted from the cast on the program, apparently the only actor whose name was left off, all the white names were there. In case you're wondering, as I was, what the ladder of chinks could be, one recap of King of the Opium Ring refers to a damsel in distress being rescued from the balcony by three Chinamen, their word, not mine, who form a human pyramid, then carry her across the stage to her estranged father. Don't worry, she is once again abducted in the final act. One of the venues in which this play was performed was the Great Northern Theater at 26 West Jackson, which opened in 1892 and was demolished in 1940. 
The Dirksen Federal Courts Building now stands on that site. I didn't find much on Chinatown Charlie, but one recap from 1907 explains, quote, The play narrates the adventures of a young man who has become a devotee of opium and the Chinese life and who finally breaks away from Oriental associations, end quote. Another refers to the main character as an, quote, exemplary young man who is converted to an opium fiend, end quote. Both King of the Opium Ring and Chinatown Charlie had runs at the Alhambra Theater at State Archer and 20th Street, which closed in 1912 and was demolished around 1929. This area is not far from what is now Chicago's Chinatown. For geography geeks who may not know this, 20th Street was renamed Cullerton Street in 1920 after the recently deceased alderman, Foxy Ed Cullerton. I'll have pictures of a lot of this stuff on social media. So there you have it, an extended extras episode on Chicago's original Chinatown. Thanks for listening.